This is Neon Radio, episode 111, with Broadway star Sarah Jones. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and I'm excited to bring to you today's guest because she is an uber-talented theater act on Broadway, amazing human with a great message. She is a one-woman play with over 20 characters that she's put into her different performances. She's done three TED Talks. She's won a Tony, an Obie, and she is just all around a rock star in the theater world and in life. And we had lots of great 360-degree creative entrepreneur chats today on the interview. Sarah just finished her recent play, Sell by Date. She has had many TV show appearances, including Charlie Rose, The Today Show, CBS Morning. She's absolutely brilliant. What I love about her and her talent is that she can create these characters and then completely spontaneously riff in that character's perspective and their persona and you think that she is that character. She's so believable. She's so talented. And today we talk about a lot of different things of how she got her career started, what it was like when she was in the beginning and scrapping along, how she started making money, what her creative process is like between creating characters, but also in writing TV shows and and plays and different things like that. We also talk about the personal development side of of her work and how that's helped her create bigger things and, and do better things. We learn about some of her rituals and practices on a daily basis and so much more. And I'm excited for you guys to jump into this because it was truly an inspiring conversation. Also, go ahead and hop on over to the show notes over at neonradio.com slash EP111. That's N-I-O-N radio.com slash EP111. And we'll have all the show notes linked up there, photos from our photo shoot over at her spot in the West Village in Manhattan. I'm really excited about this year and bringing you all kinds of amazing creative guests onto the show that we can explore a 360 world of creativity and entrepreneurship and how they work together. Also, just a note before we get started, head over to neonradio.com, N-I-O-N radio.com to sign up for the newsletter where we'll send you the newest episodes when they come out. And also, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get my free ebook on seven secrets of celebrities that I've learned from hanging out with them and interviewing them and what the commonalities are of how they've gotten to where they've gotten. So without further ado, I bring to you the one, the only, Miss Sarah Jones. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Neon Radio. We are in the home in West Village of 
my good friend Sarah Jones, who is an amazingly talented Broadway star. I'm going to call you a star because you are. And she is many, many, done many things, has many characters that she does. She's a playwright. She has brilliant performances all over the place and has won a Tony. A Tony. A Tony. And many other accolades. But I want to get started. And and, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. We've been talking about this for a while, and I'm very excited to dive into your life and career and creative process. So let's just kind of get started by talking about, you know, where you're from Mm -hmm. and how you ended up in theater. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've been... Um, thinking about theater as I'm doing more, like theater is my love. I get to perform live. I have characters from lots of different backgrounds in part because I'm, you know, a product of a multicultural family like you, like lots of, lots of us now. I sometimes feel like America is, I'm kind of like, we're the mixed states of, of America. Like that's, you know, yeah, we're united. And a lot of us are like really, really united. We're so united. We're like multiple things at the same time. And um, so a lot of my characters come from my experience of growing up with family members who are black and white and, you know, from the Caribbean and from, I mean, I had just relatives from everywhere. One of the fun jokes is that in my extended family, we had, you know, on the white side, they're both Christians and Jews. And it's a long story filled with intrigue and interfaith guilt. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all are related. And so for me, it was very normal to have like this kind of multicultural perspective. It wasn't mm-hmm. like some buzzword, it was my life. Yeah. And so I started writing characters from that perspective and performing them around. And I have, I've been really fortunate to do one person shows. Um, some of them are, I did one called Bridge and Tunnel, which was on mm-hmm. Broadway that won the, the Tony. I like the way you say, Tony. It's very different from like, Tony, I want a Tony. <laughs> hey, exactly. I want a Tony. Anyway, but I am from Queens. I was more likely to talk like that than, you know, like the other way. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm from Queens. And I think that, you know, it's the most diverse borough county in the world, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, has a lot of, um, that has had a lot of impact on where I eventually landed. And now I'm doing my character's. It's really fun to do them live. I had a show, show called uh, Sell By Date, which I just did recently. And I'm going to continue doing that around. And uh, other fun ways to do my work are like, you know, having the opportunity to talk to you. I've done TED Talks a few different times. Like the that's mm-hmm. both awesome and terrifying. <laughs> I can only imagine. I think the T in TED is for terrifying. <laughs> no, it's not. It's actually really fun. But, you know, in a way I get to have, a, it's not fearlessness, but I get to have a lot of fun because my characters do the work a lot of the time. I shouldn't say that, but I, you know what, Nick, you know, this lady. I'm going to yes. introduce you to one of my friends, just really quick. Yes. This is my favorite character, by the way. Okay. First of all, I love hearing that I'm anybody's favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nick, you're such a sweetheart, and he's very talented, as all of you know, listening out there. But I met Nick because of the girl, Sarah Jones, who you just met. She's a, a very nice young black performer, and... Uh, you know, I hope nobody gets offended uh, that, you know, she calls herself black. I know everybody's so sensitive nowadays. I try to be careful. But, you know, when you reach my age, honestly, 
We've all, the names, you don't even know who's what anymore. I just try to be nice to everybody. (laughs) Anyway, I'm so happy to be here. Neon Radio. Who says I'm old? I know what's happening. (laughs) I know from Neon Radio. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Lorraine's very happy to be here. She's, yeah, she's getting ready to go down and uh, do the Women's March. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. What what are you guys going to do down there? Well, I feel like they are leading the charge. I'm going to go do a performance down there. Uh, Gloria Steinem is um, speaking with Alicia Garza, the um, organizer from Black Lives Matter, and uh, lots of other amazing feminists who include both women and men, as we know, uh, are going to be gathering. I'm doing a performance in the midst of all of that. So Gloria's interview with Alicia and um, lots of other great organizations, Planned Parenthood, you know, everybody who's going to need like a lot more funding now, (laughs) (laughs) a lot more help to like keep it running. We're all going to be gathering at uh, an event at the National Press Club. So I'm excited for that. Very cool. Yeah. We're going to have our own inauguration. We're inaugurating (laughs) the next four years of staying sane. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, just so everyone knows, you can, it's one thing to hear uh, Sarah's characters, but it's also one thing to see her performing. So there's a couple of different things. We'll link up in the show notes at neonradio.com slash EP111. Um, so you'll be able to see some video clips that we're shooting now and we'll link up the Ted talks too, mm, because yeah. those definitely give you an insight into what she does. But, and if you're in New York, find out where to go to go see her. But, Come find me. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So who was, uh, who's the most influential person in your life growing up? You know, I would have to say it really varied. Like, and I know that's kind of a cop out. Like, you know, it's like a person with kids who's like, I uh, don't have any favorites. Yes, you do. No, no, I don't. But like, I think at times it was my mom. She was such a strong role model. She became a doctor at a time when, you know, it was not as common for like my grandmother was a nurse. That was sort of more normal. And, um, my kind of, I guess she taught me that it was, you know, part of being a woman to be smart and to be capable and to strive for the highest, you know, goal you could. And um, I also think at times it was my dad, who Mm. is also a doctor, very different um, energetically, but a black man who was growing up in the South, you know, in in a time when like he in the seventies, you know, when my parents met at college, there were still, it was, you know, weird for uh, this, to see this black woman, this black guy walking down the street with this white skinned woman. My mother's actually mixed, but she's wow. totally white appearing. And so we looked like very different than what, you know, my father was always like, Oh my God, the clan's going to come. <laughs> Your mom's in the front seat, kids be careful. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, it feels like we're in the 1960s instead of the eighties. It was yeah. a strange experience, but I admired both of them because they had to overcome tremendous obstacles to achieve what they did. And so I think, you know, I got to give it up to mom and dad. Yeah. Um, Depending on the day, I'd go one way or the other. And then I had, you know, teachers and like, I really feel like um, I didn't look up to people. Like I didn't have a, um, hmm. I feel like now when I talk to, you know, kids who are really little, they'll have like a role. Like, I mean, I've talked to people who are like, I want to be Ariana Grande when I grow up. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a way to go. <laughs> but I wasn't really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think I was more like homegrown. I didn't have like a celebrity 
role model type of person. Yeah. Although with um, performing multiple characters, I loved Tracy Ullman was on TV when I was a kid. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. um, other people who played multiple characters, Robin Williams. Um, I just remember thinking like, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to play like <laughs> as many different roles as you want. Um, Lily Tomlin. So these were people who had a huge influence on me actually. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So how did you kind of make your journey from school and learning to getting on to Broadway and making, making money? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a miracle. Like I'm I'm like, this actually shouldn't have worked on paper. It doesn't make any sense, but I was really fortunate. I started out um, doing like spoken word, hip hop related performances in New York at this place called the New York and poets cafe. And you could do like these poetry slams. It was basically an open mic. Anybody could get up there if you were crazy enough. Usually it took many glasses of wine. But eventually I was like, I want to get up there and just do, you know, there were people, voices that were (laughs) bursting (laughs) forth. I remember, um, okay, so first of all, Nick, I just have to say, my name is Nereida. I'm very excited to be here right now. Um, Hi, guys. And um, I just want to say that I remember when Sarah Jones first well, like I am, she's talking about the New York Rican Poets Cafe. That means like New York, New York, Puerto Rican for people who are listening and they're not familiar with that. And I am half Puerto Rican, half Dominican, but I'm all proud. But I think like, you know, people don't realize that, you know, you could have like a little dream when you're a kid that like, I think Sarah Jones, she, she never pictured herself like doing that. She wanted to be a lawyer when she was growing up, <laughs> which is like, oh my God, I guess she wanted to use that mouth on her. But, you know, like for me, like the way that people's character develops and everything, I think that she was afraid, like, what are people going to think I'm fake? Because I'm, I can play this person, I can play that person and I can be all these different people. And, you know, maybe that's like, at the time, I think everybody was like doing a Erica Badu, like wearing a lot of head wraps. And like, there was a very like Afrocentric thing that was happening. And they were like, whoa, what's going on? Why did you just turn into like a Jewish old lady right there? But, you know, I think that for Sarah Jones, it was very important for her to just like let it all out. She had to like stop trying to be something she wasn't and let it be okay to be everything that she was. Mm. So that's what happened. But yeah, I just wanted to get my voice out there. Hola. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. I'm a little bit awkward, but I, I, I embrace that about myself. You know what I'm saying? It's very important. Okay. Too, I, you know, and I've never done an interview with with multiple people stopping by. It's really fun. It's like you know, I'm really enjoying this. I get to drop in, drop out. You know, like this is it's a low commitment, but it's also very you know, it's very fun. I, I, I might I might just hang out for a little while. You should. Okay, you thank should. you. I'm you gonna should, do that. I feel out. very at home here. I don't know why. Uh, that's a good question. It's a really interesting know. question mm. to figure that out. See, 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 see. Okay, Nick, I'm going to stop. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to give you like a Spanish test or anything like that, even though somehow I know you will pass. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. De nada. So, you know, I think every artist goes through a um, scrappy time, mm-hmm. scrappy time to get to the successful times. And, you know, I think this is kind of an interesting topic because a lot of people love to hear from successful people what was the, what were the, what, what are the, paint us a picture of what the scrappy times looked mm. like. What, you know, were you eating ramen? Oh were you living God, in the basement the of a, of a, a closet of a, a place in New York? What, you know, what, what, did, what does that look like? So much ramen. Although now that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I'm talking about like ramen with the nasty packet of like <laughs> seasoning, but you know, yeah, I, had my moments, like my mom's basement got a lot of wear and tear, you know, and I was like working some stuff out. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And it's funny because I followed, this sounds so 
you know, kind of oversimplified when people say it. Sometimes I'll listen to interviews and people are like, I just followed my bliss. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> let's tell the truth. Who is your dad? Like, let's get real. <laughs> but, you know, it really is true that I had certain opportunities happen. Like I started at the New Yorican. I was, I went to college in um, Pennsylvania. I went to Bryn Mawr College and it was close enough to New York that I would come home on the weekends and I just stayed really involved in the culture. And I did love hip hop. There was like, <laughs> I've had a couple of stories float around. Like, it's funny with social media, it's kind of like, at one point, Talib Kweli, I knew him back then, and he posted something like, yeah, it reminds me of the time Biggie Smalls and Sarah Jones were, hey, I was like, um, hello, is anyone, isn't there a statute of limitations on these stories? But I was, I was hanging out in the scene, and, you know, there was a lot of excitement around, like, that middle school era of hip-hop, mm. now old school, and I was willing to live a little scrappy. I had, like, a whole bunch of roommates in a part of Brooklyn that was... Definitely not. You know, now it's like, what's oh, Didmus Park? Back then my mother was like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? Like, what? Um, and, you know, I think I lucked out into um, loving what I did enough that I was willing to deal with, you know, the the scrappy moments. Mm -hmm. Like there were moments where I was like, what am I doing this? At? You know, I don't want to intern, like, you know, taking internships, that meant that I would definitely be all up in the ramen for a while because <laughs> I wanted to learn about, you know, the music industry. I wanted to learn about um, how poets were able to earn a living. Who writes poet on their taxes? Like nobody. But I was hanging out with the few people, you know, I got to meet Gil Scott Heron. If people don't know him, he's this legendary uh, old, like, what would I call him? Like a... He's a um, a writer. He was a writer and a poet. He wrote the poem, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And people hear that phrase and think it just like came out of the ether. But, you know, he was this really talented guy. And I got to go on tour with him. I got to, you know, like learn at the um, at the feet of these, you know, really brilliant writers wow. who had gone before me. So in order to do that, I had to, you know, I had to pay my dues. But then eventually... Um, and I always laugh when people say you get discovered because it's like, what am I, a country? And this person is Columbus, like, land ho! But, you know, um, the, the biggest thing that lifted me out of the scrappiness, I think, was Meryl Streep saw me uh, at a benefit performance I was giving, in part because I had turned down some other things that didn't totally fit with what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I remember turning them down. It was There was a TV pilot uh, that, and it wasn't the best, you know, I kind of left, I was like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's okay to not know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up not doing that project and meeting Meryl instead. And it was a really helpful, Meryl Streep, I should say. Um, it was a really helpful experience because people were like, you'll never work again if you turn down this pilot. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. And by following what I knew really meant something to me, mm. I ended up having an impossible, like people just weren't, Meryl Streep wasn't hanging out like, you know, in the club, like waiting to meet me. Like, that's not how it was. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right. there were, I had friends who like had, you know, gotten their masters and they were like, I went to Tish. How come you get to meet Meryl Streep? I was like, I don't know. Like I just got here by accident. But the truth is, I think if you follow the most meaningful path, like if you really sit still and say, okay, I know this other path looks mm. like it'll pay my bills better or like it's flashier or like it's, you know, I should want to meet these people because they'll elevate me. That, that has its benefits, but if there's something else pulling you in a different direction, that's mm. like, you know what, this looks like something that's a long game, 
you know, it's a longer term um, investment yeah. in something I believe in, follow that because you, you will then unexpectedly end up with, you know, all the rest of the trappings. Yeah. 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 How have you been able to listen to that? Uh, very imperfectly. I mean, I think the reason I can say like, don't follow that other shit is because I followed that other shit for a while. Mm. Like I definitely, you know, like I've had some amazing experiences. I mean, giving Ted talks is pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty rad. Like I can hear Bella, my character, <laughs> like, like, I, hi guys, my name is Bella. Hi, Nick. Hey. Um, like guys, you totally have to understand right now that like I met Sarah Jones because like I'm a feminist. Um, and like, well actually, so like my name is Bella, but like not like Twilight Bella. Um, like I was actually named for like Bella Abzog, who's like a famous like feminist from like history. And like, it's so important that like, I don't know, like I think people like, I asked Sarah Jones, like, what does it mean to like, you know, find like the kinds of work that like, you know, really satisfy you, but also pay the bills? Like, how do you like find that balance and everything? And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I came to your school um, as like a favor for a friend. <laughs> and so I think that like she had to learn how to like, you know, do like, that balancing act a little bit better. I don't know if she's being very successful, but whatever. Like, it's not really for me to judge. <laughs> okay, Bella can stop. <laughs> but I think, no, what I wanted, what I was actually trying to say there is valuing your work is so difficult as an artist. Yeah. And I re I was like the benefit queen for a while. And I, it was messy. Like, I was kind of like, you know, there were opportunities to like make a lot of money. I sold some TV pilots in Hollywood, um, but they weren't really projects that I believed in. But somebody was like, want to stay at the Chateau Marmont like anytime you want and like, we'll buy it. We'll get you like rent a car and like send you all and you'll hang out with, I won't even say the names because it's so name droppy, but I was like in this name droppy, like, you know, it was a mix of like paradise and a nightmare at right. the same time. Cause it was like, oh my God, like I'm totally, you know, like I'm, dating a guy who like I used to buy his albums and like you know wait online for tickets I know Nick's like which guy is that it's the other story but the point is that if that's not really who I am it's not going to be sustainable that's mm. what I discovered is yeah. that like you know it's it's super important to make money and value myself and it's super important to make sure I'm you know, creating work in alignment with what I believe in mm. and finding that balance. Um, like I don't, ha you don't have to be a starving artist. Um, in fact, you can't, I think ultimately the best work you can only really get at, you know, like, I think there are some people who lived in a lot of deprivation as artists and they made great work and people are like, look how great they are. It's because they were miserable. No, dude, they would have been even more amazing if they had actually been able to take care of themselves and like, you know what I mean? Not like die in a, like, you know, passed out with like, right. a, a, like a bottle of 151 <laughs> under their arm. So I think there's this like mythology around, you know, as an artist, you either have to starve or you sell out. And I think there's just this other space that's mm -hmm. like, no, just follow what you love. Really do that. Like be the best you can at that. Yeah let go of needing to be perfect, just be great. Like perfect doesn't exist, great's better. Yeah. And when you do your work and you really care about it, other people will will feel that. It'll it'll resonate with them and you can trust that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. I love that. How do you balance the idea of, well, creating the work that you want, but also creating the work that makes money? 
Right. Because there is a marketplace. You know, I think like with with um, current projects that I'm working on, like I've, I love the theater, like I said, and I also realize, especially in political times like these and, you know, just the world the way it is now, like my social channels and all that kind of stuff, like trying to find the balance of like, I got to get it, you know, I got to like let people know that, you know, certain ideas are really important to me. And I have to remember to meet people where they are it, mm-hmm. as long as I'm not, you know, contorting myself to like fit some mold that isn't me, then yeah. I can actually be a useful voice out there. There are so many examples of people who are doing great work. And it's it, like, if you really want to know like what your like if you really want to use your talent, the best possible way to do that is to be useful to other people. Like, yeah. you know, if you just kind of sit and play your guitar in your apartment and nobody ever hears you, you could be a genius, but you're not really helping inspire anybody else. You're not helping anybody, you know, get up and get their own instrument out and realize like, oh my God, I love this person. They're my hero. Now I'm going to try because of them. So I think it's kind of about like, in some ways it's like I had to learn how to get over myself. Like I wanted to do the best possible work that I could. But like I said, I had to let go of wanting to be perfect. Mm. And I got to this point where one of the pieces I wrote, um, you know, they wanted me to, my producers wanted me to submit it for a Pulitzer. And I was like, oh, it's not perfect enough. Don't submit it. And then the thing that won that year, I was like, damn, I could have beat that. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is I got in my own way because I was Mm. so worried about how it looks to the rest of the world. And I think as artists in a marketplace, it can be really easy for publicists and, you know, agents and, you know, we need these people. I love my publicist. I love my agent. But I, I also have to remember they're trying to work for me. They're trying to help me be more of me, not fit to, you know, what's going to get me more followers. Um, and I think it's been really helpful for me to think about, you know, like what is my authentic, like what's my real, what do I really want to say? And then letting them, you know, fit, I, I can fit to that. Um, I can fit an audience to that better than I can fit myself to what I think the marketplace needs. And if I'm following, if I'm just like, Oh, what's trending? Let me like do that. Dude, never. It'll never work. It's never going to be sustainable. You can totally be like a flash in the pan influencer and I'm not trying to like attack anybody, but real influence is, it's so different. It's so much deeper than that. And it will transcend, you know, whatever is the next platform that everybody jumps to after Snapchat or whatever. Like it just, real work is, um, it's always going to be, like I have to say, I've been able to earn a living as an artist for a long time now. And, you know, I'm just starting to move out into social channels in a more serious way because I hope people hear what I have to say and it's useful to mm-hmm. them. But if it's not, you know, what's the point? Like, yeah. yeah, I think, and I think it's really easy to forget that like the thing that makes me happiest is when other people see my work and say, like, I got, I got something today from someone who's like, I'm writing my own one woman show and it's got 20 characters and it's all because of you. And I'm like, Oh my God, like that's, I love the Tony. I love, you know, I've performed at the white house. I've done some amazing, amazing things. Sometimes nothing is more important than that, you know, email or that face, whatever. Like when that person finds you on Facebook and is like, you changed my life. You're like, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm a successful artist now. Not because I signed this deal with this studio. Mm, that's a, yeah. such a great way of looking at it. Mm. Love it. So how does, what does, how does ego play 
into Ego. success and creative and staying <sighs> true to who you are and oh my God. all that for you. Yeah. So my ego... Like I realized at a certain point, first of all, at one point I realized like, oh my God, I have an ego. This is embarrassing. But then I remembered like, oh, everybody has an ego. Like it's part of being human. Like we, you know, thank God we have one or, you know, you wouldn't be a brilliant photographer and, you know, creating the work that you create in the world. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be, you know, writing and performing characters um, if I didn't have some voice that says, hey, what you have to say is unique. Put it out there. You know, see how that goes for you. Follow this compass that says, mm-hmm. this is the, my true North, you know? Um, so in a way it's great. Yeah. The trick is to have it in balance and have it be right sized. And I think I was kind of hovering in this place between like, I'm a piece of shit. And like, I'm the queen of Sheba. <laughs> like I was kind of, <laughs> everybody love me. Oh my God. Don't look at me. Oh my God. I'm amazing. Oh my God. I'm a piece of crap. Like I just <laughs> couldn't stop this. Like, and not everybody's like that, but I've met a lot of other artists who struggle with that feeling of like, I think my work is good, but then like, you know, I'm comparing myself to other people. I've heard it called compare and despair, which is like Mm -hmm. exactly where I go at times. And, you know, the marketplace can do that to us. It's very easy for people to be like, you're the, you know, you're Anna Devere Smith mixed with, you know, this person mixed with that person. It's like, no, Anna's great. And she does what she does. And I'm me and I do what I do. And then the New York times is going to write articles where they put us all in the same basket anyway. But I think there's something about remembering that it's not really about me. And my art, I remember hearing somebody say that. And I was like, what the hell do you mean it's not about you? Of course it's about you. But the, what I, the way I mean that is if you make work that inspires another person, then that your work is bigger than you are. And understanding that you don't get to decide whether other people love you what people think of you. Like one of my biggest difficulties as an artist, and I face it every day, is trying to like, you know, let go of my self-image so I can focus on my true self. When Mm -hmm. my self-image makes all the decisions, I'm screwed. Like I'll wear, you know, I'll be like, oh my God, those shoes are so amazing. And then I'm like standing on a red carpet ready to die because they're so painful. But it was like, but they look so hot though. They look so hot. And it's like, well, what's really the most important thing here? Like don't let self-image drive, you know, it can be in the car, but try not to let it drive. Try to let your true self put you in the shoes that are dope, but also won't kill you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's a silly example, but I really think like, you know, learning to like, let it be okay that we all have an ego. It's part of the journey. You know, I'm going to make stupid decisions at times. I won't even call them stupid. It's not that I'm stupid. I'm just learning. I'm imperfect. And it's all a growth opportunity. Yeah. You know, we're all learning. We're all learning. Works in progress. Yeah. It's the create. It's well, it's about the the journey, not the destination or the destination is the journey, you know, and that's the hardest thing to like learn. It's so hard. (laughs) So hard. And you know what I love? I can learn it on like Thursday and forget it by Friday. Like on Mm -hmm. Thursday, I'll be like, I feel so blissed out. I'm totally peaceful. (laughs) Like I just like shot this amazing whatever. And it was all about them. And I'm so grateful that I did that work. And then the next day I'm like, wait a minute. I can't believe I signed that release. What was I thinking? (laughs) You know, like those same voices are kind of battling it out for a lot of artists, I think. And Mm -hmm. one thing that really helps me is work like yours that goes into people's process and lets really, you know, well-known people who everyone admires and looks at them and is like, oh my God, they've totally got all their shit together. And then you get to hear like, well, actually, you know, it takes a long time to like 
really find your lane, know who you are. Even Mm -hmm. then it's never perfect. Like it's kind of nice to demystify, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the artist's process and what it is to become successful. Like what it, I heard, I actually did this another podcast with another person I love, Elizabeth Gilbert. And we were talking about this idea that a friend of mine shared with me once. What if joy is like your only metric for success? Like what if instead of like, you know, how many units you've sold, how many eyeballs you have on your, you know, like what if instead of that kind of data, your way you measure your success is, you know, like how much joy am I feeling right now in what I'm doing? And the great news is I think you can be super successful. In fact, I think you can only be super successful if you feel joy in what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's the thing is, this, especially once you start seeing success, is it's harder to maintain that success and and stay in that joyful zone, keep mm-hmm. following that joy mm-hmm. because it, it, you're trying to balance keeping your lifestyle up to a certain mm-hmm. <laughs> level that mm-hmm. you've been used to having. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I, I think I found myself out in that in the last couple of years and it's, you know, I think this year is really like still honing in on getting back to that joy and finding out what that is. Because also I've evolved as an artist. I've gotten, you know, interested in different aspects of photography mm-hmm. and, and stuff. I've already done a lot of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I love doing new things, but that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love what you had to say about that because I've definitely been feeling it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Been feeling it. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back a little bit to... You were when you were when Meryl Streep found you. What did that a What did that do for you? And what did what did she teach you? You know, it's funny. She was so humble. She she has so much humility as just a human. You know, as a human being, I always thought humility was like it. It sounded like oh, you're humble. It means you're kind of like weak and meek, and you know, and what I learned from her and you know other people who I really admire who are great artists, truly great artists. Like you look there, you know, their name is like in the dictionary when you <laughs> right. look up, you know, most amazing actor ever or whatever. And yet, um, I think not taking yourself too seriously, like she had such a sense of humor. I was like, she's Meryl Streep. She's funny. Yeah. What's all this funny shit going on? And she, um, was really curious and open to talking to me as though I had something to offer you know, I was like a kid who had never done anything. And she was like, how can I, you know, help you? I love what you're doing. You know, here she would offer me, um, uh, just little tidbits. Like she wouldn't preach. She wasn't like, I'm your mentor and I'm going to like, you know, straighten you up and show you what to do. She just kind of helped me have confidence in my craft. Um, you know, really trust my own process and my own journey that it wasn't going to be like anybody else's. And I also learned that humility means not only, you know, not having that big outsized ego that we were just talking about this, like, come on, don't you know who I am? You know, like you don't have to be, I don't know why suddenly I just turned into like, I don't know what that was, but you know, it's not healthy to be, you know, this arrogant, puffed up, like ridiculous caricature of yourself, but it's also not healthy to be self deprecating and, you know, diminish yourself. And I think we live in a culture that's kind of like, how dare you? Like you're a diva if you, you know, actually believe in yourself and believe in your work. Um, or people, you know, if you're that way, I mean, I think of, you know, certain rappers with, with, you know, who are known to have certain kind of ego. 
um, the public loves to tear you back down when, when you put that out there, that energy, right? And that's, that's its own set of problems. But I think there's this tendency to be like, we only like people if they're like really, you know, like they, they have to be like, oh, shucks, no, not me. No, that piece of crap. Oh, I didn't make that. And that's not real either. Like if you mm-hmm. know your work is good and people love it, it's actually humility to be like, wow, thanks. I'm, you know, yeah, I, I really believe in this thing I just did. Thanks for appreciating it. And so again, it's that balancing act of like neither too big nor mm. too small, like finding the place where you're the right size. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. It's, it's such a balance. And I think that goes back to the ego conversation. Mm. It's like, you got to have some ego, but then you got to lay, you know, be able to separate, separate yourself from that. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. If you know what helps thinking of myself as a worker, like, cause you know, if people are like, if you got hair and makeup and you know, people bringing you stuff and somebody's putting a straw in your mouth and you're standing on a red carpet so your lip- lipstick doesn't get messed up, it's really easy to start to feel like a princess. Yeah. And that, that started to happen with me. And I realized that actually nothing destroys who you are and therefore your creativity, like losing sight of you're just the same as anybody else, dude. You're not like when we live in a world that ranks people a list to Z list or whatever, that is the most dangerous thing you can do is believe in the hierarchy. And I'm guilty of it. I don't know anybody else who, you know, the, the VIP exists as a concept for a reason. And I have had a lot of experiences that, you know, um, I mean, I remember I became a UNICEF goodwill ambassador of several years ago now. And it was this feeling of like, when you arrive in the country, everybody's like, you know, there's armored cars. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I knew that I was there to try to be useful to the people in Ethiopia or wherever else I was performing. And at the same time, it was very easy to get caught in this thing of like, you're important and other people aren't. And I think we have, it's our responsibility as artists to never think we are above or below, but certainly I am not above, you know, the woman at Verizon who's working on my phone or the, Mm. you know what I mean? Like the person who comes and delivers your food at your door, like treat them with respect, tip them properly. You don't know what their story is. They might have a PhD in their home country, you know, like trying to remember that there is no real superiority or inferiority. It's all a myth that helps drive the marketplace. Don't get me wrong. Cause when people are on top, you know, that's a real thing. And then everybody's like, it's aspirational. Let's like, you know, make yeah. tons of reality shows about like how you too can get rich and have the dream. And that's all fine and good for like making money purposes. But who we really are as artists is so much deeper than that. And when we lose sight of just being in, you know, like a circle of other people who are working, it might be that my, you know, my tools might be, uh, you know, using my computer to write plays, somebody else's tools are, you know, hammer and nails to build something, but we're still, we're all just here trying to build as equals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now you've done, I mean, from what I've observed, you do a lot of internal personal development work. I, I hate the, I, the, I, the, the I, PD, I, the PD, the word <laughs> PD, but you know, I love that aspect of things because I feel like for myself, it's, it's, um, helped my creativity and, and helped me get through, you know, when it, when it gets harder. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that, how has that kind of stuff worked for you or, or how does it play into your, your creativity on a, on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, I think it's everything in a certain way. Like, mm-hmm. I think I came to my characters, like I was just thinking about, <laughs> 
like when I was little, I would, you know, my parents were really busy. Like I said, they were both doctors. Um, when we were growing up, actually they were in medical school when I was little and they were so busy. I had to kind of like entertain myself. And I remember almost feeling like the characters were this place for me to go you know, find a safe space. Mm -hmm. And I think as artists, for many of us, our work is our safe space. You know, if we grew up somewhere and we were a little different, or if we, you know, even if we were, you know, the kind of normal kid um, and we didn't deal with feeling like an other, there's still something that pulls you to be an artist. There's some kind of vision, you know, that you have for how you want your life to be. And I think that can be a place where, you know, when things get rough, it's your safe haven. It's your refuge, you know, when the storms of life hit. And it's funny because I found myself, I was married for a long time. And when he and I got divorced, I really needed to do a lot of personal um, development work that was not like, you know, ice cream on my couch and like a lot of wine. Mm -hmm. Like I needed a little bit more than that level of personal development. Um, And I discovered that my art if I didn't take care of myself and really like do, you know, like, I mean, I had every healer you can think of. I was like, shaman, sure. Therapy, great. You know, Reiki, bring it on. You know, acupuncture, (laughs) you know, you name it, I was doing it. And I needed all of that stuff because I realized if I don't take care of myself, I lose access to my creative force. Like I can't, I can't actually create Mm. work you have to, um, fill your own well, you have to, in order to then be able to overflow your work onto the world. And Mm. I didn't understand that. I was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, the starving artist thing. That's what I learned growing up. I was like, look at them. They're tortured. It's so cool. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, that's, but then that's why people like die, you know, choking on their own vomit in a bathtub is because that formula doesn't really work. And then we lose their genius. Mm -hmm. And, um, I always feel without taking anything away from anybody else, like, the people we lose, I feel so sad. Like as a fan, Mm -hmm. I'm always like, Oh my God. Like I wish you had had your shaman or whoever could have helped you see that, you know, like you're too beautiful as an artist to Mm -hmm. take your work away from the world. And so sometimes when I'm struggling the most, I try to remember in a certain way, and this is not to freak anybody out, not to beat anybody up on top of like, if they're having a rough time, but sometimes what helps me get out of a rough patch is remembering that if I'm in a lot of self-pity or, you know, I'm worried about my career and I'm like thinking it's not going okay, it's actually selfish in a certain way. Like if other people believe in my work, like all your fans, you know, and the people who support me in my work, I'm basically saying, I don't trust you guys. If I'm saying like, oh, I'm a piece of crap and other people are saying to me, no, you're amazing. I owe it to them. If I trust them and I believe in them, I owe it to them to say, all right, if they believe in what I'm doing, then that's enough for me to pick myself up and get out of the self-pity and remember that I'm just a worker. And, you know, my job is to be generous with my gifts, not hold them back because I'm worried that they're not good enough or something's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Love it. Love it. Personal development. (laughs) <laughs> so much deep talk going on it's today. very deep it's very deep today i should be english because yeah. you know we like to go very, actually we don't like to go deep let's be honest <laughs> english people like to be like would you like some tea all right lovely seeing you bye <laughs> <laughs> love that feelings emotions it's, no absolutely not don't do that oh don't do it no don't unless you've it. had a few pints and then we can talk about the deepest <laughs> i i'll never forget i used to actually go with i was going out with a guy from england years ago and he was so repressed 
rest until you got a couple of pints in him and then he was like Sarah I love you so much you're the most amazing guy I love you so much and I was like oh this is really romantic except for like how many pints of lager it took oh, to get boy. here I know oh boy yeah we don't do that anymore Mm-mm. no 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 nope, nope. learn mm-hmm. learn from that one learn from that one we've moved on we've moved on <laughs> yeah so you have how you have how many characters I have a bunch that all together because I have some. So, for example, I have like uh, nice to meet you, Nick. I think I never met you before, but no. my name is Pasha and uh, I'm from Russia. But uh, Sarah Jones, she have a different character from Russia. Uh, some they are men. I am lady. So, but if you don't uh, counting different, um, uh, how you say, uh, gender people, uh, she have all together like more than 30. But uh, if you're counting only culture, maybe it's more like uh, high 20s, uh, different group of people. So it's very nice to be here. I don't know if you have Russian people on your podcast before. You're the first. I am first one. I love to be pioneer. Well, okay. thanks. Thanks for stopping by. It's spasiba, you say. Spasiba. Okay. I teach a little bit Russian while I'm here. Okay. Love it. Yeah. I love it. A little more than 30. 30. Of my friends. They hang out. They don't pay rent. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. I wish they did. But you've been developing these for a while. They kind of weave in and out of your different um, projects as yes. well. Yes. Which is fascinating. Yes. And I love, what I love is that you can do is complete, you can just riff and you can completely dive into that per, that character's perspective and riff in any conversation, in any circumstance or scenario. And I mean, that's one of the great things about being Sarah's friend is that, that <laughs> they show up and in a, in a conversation and it's very entertaining she's very talented so i love that so how did you first get started developing these characters and who was kind of on the on the front side of that yeah that's good it's funny because yeah being your friend and i think about this with all my friends like at some point are they like okay um sarah you can bring you can have like a plus two but after that no more characters <laughs> like slow it down but they do you know, I think um, Lorraine Levine. It's me. Hi again, me Lorraine. Hi there. Um, she's been with me a really long time because she's loosely based on real people from my childhood, like my relatives, mm-hmm. and um, I had like a great aunt who, you know, I we really did. It was um, very normal for me to have. Like I had relatives from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And of course, if they are around your table when you're growing up, then you're going to start to learn to be like those people. That's a very normal thing, right? Mm-hmm. So if you talk to different people from New York, they will tell you that they all of most people, they have to interact with a lot of different people. It's very normal. But Sarah Jones make it not normal because <laughs> she don't just be around the people. She become the people. So that's why... But it, it is true that um, because some of them are based on people I knew growing up, they're the ones who were with me earliest. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the UN school here in New York. Um, so kids from all over the world were my classmates. Like mm-hmm. every day I was surrounded. Like, uh, I automatically, we had teachers from everywhere. Uh, how are you? Assalamu uh, alaikum. My name is Habiba. I don't want you to get you in trouble. I might be the first guest you have who is forced to register, but we don't want to talk about that <laughs> as a Muslim uh, Muslim woman. But uh, uh, the point is that Sarah Jones is meeting people from everywhere around the world. So for her, very normal uh, to develop these in childhood. And then as I got older, 
the more, you know, as I met people, as I traveled to different places and got more immersed, um, like I spent some time in Sydney, Australia recently, and I was really able to just like, you know, I got to spend like heaps and heaps of time talking to people and just like, you know, going around and starting to learn like what does it feel like to be an Aussie in Sydney and then come back here. And sometimes I'll meet people in New York who are Aussies and I'll just yeah. start, you know, having a chat with them and then they're like, where are you from? And eventually I let them know. <laughs> I try to be kind about it because they're always like, come on, no, it's not possible. You're, you're definitely an Aussie and that's really gratifying as you can imagine. So, yeah. I can only imagine. You can only imagine. But it is, I have to say, I don't pay rent. <laughs> Lucky a, you. I'm a good Aussie that way, you know. Like you just find a way to kind of be mellow about it, you know. If she asks me for rent, no worries, mate. But, yeah, I should. I basically have been running the original Airbnb for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's multi-culty, 30 people to an apartment Airbnb. That is insane. That is insane. <laughs> what, is your, what does your creative process look like in... in um, and creating a character, mm-hmm. we'll start there. Yeah. You know, I think like because it, my ear has been attuned to this for so long. So like like I was saying in school, um, I remember I had one teacher. Okay. Lovely to meet you, Nick. Uh, but uh, Sarah Jones was taking a music class and I was one of the teachers. We had uh, different uh, South Asian teachers and uh, she would watch what I am doing, watching what I am wearing. I'm wearing sari. And uh, I noticed that she would start to uh, imitate a little bit what I am saying uh, when she uh, thinks I am not listening. So that as a child, I think that you can get in a lot of trouble doing that method. But as an adult uh, in the creative process, if you have something which you want to learn, the first uh, uh, necessary part of that is the practice. You must over and over again, like this concept that I have heard of the 10,000 hours of practice to become genius, right? This is maybe this Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, so that if you spend that that much of time learning to do something, of course, you will become, it is like sleeping for you. It is so easy that you can just do that. Uh, so I think that is part of the creative pro- process is the repetition. Very important. When she is first learning to uh, inhabit different person, she tries very hard not to think of that as accent. Because as I told her, I am not accent. I am mm-hmm. a person. So if you want only to do accent, you can go to the Saturday Night Live or something like this. Not to say that it is a bad thing. We love the SNL. But that uh, it is a different thing to play someone only as impression. Uh, very quick, broad stroking that. That sounded very dirty. I did not mean to say that. But uh, there is a big difference between uh, creating real person who is someone that you know. What did they eat for the breakfast? What do they care about in their life? Uh, what did they study in the schooling? Uh, when did they come to this country? What do they care about? Uh, you know, how many times do they dream of uh, kind of uh, Donald Trump getting a terrible illness? These kinds of details are very important. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that to her. But, you know, I think learning who people are and where they are, that's part of my creative process. And I have to have the time to do that. So it can take mm-hmm. me about two weeks of researching. I like to be in the place where the person is from or at least know where they Mm. Um, grew up. I like to know where they went to school. It, it's amazing to me, like to this day, because I eventually went to India and performed this, you know, various characters in India, which is, you got to get it right. 
Like, you know, that's yeah. like more than a billion people who could be like, wrong. Like, they, <laughs> they don't like you. They could be like, that's really, you know, insulting or demeaning. And so I have this goal of like treating other people's stories and their lives and the, you know, the the kind of subject that I get the privilege of learning, which is their life, mm-hmm. treating it with as much respect as I would hope someone else would treat me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely. my goal. I like it because you get that perspective. You get to see life through their lens, through their their eyes. That's it. And hopefully it makes me a better person. Like at my best, because I've studied, you know, what uh, a lot of people's experiences are like coming to this country. When I meet somebody who is a recent immigrant here, I don't automatically think of them as, you know, some random person who's just driving the Uber or who's just, you know, I mean, there's, why don't I just reduce every immigrant in the city to an Uber driver? But, you know, my point is that I don't meet people and automatically think to myself, that dude has no, has nothing in common with me. I, instead I think like, oh, wow, I actually, I can speak a little bit of, you know, um, Hindi to this person, or I can speak a little bit of, it's actually more, I learned some, um, uh, very, very little Gujarati. I'm not going to try it here, but you know, learning, just learning a little bit about, um, who the person is, it enriches who you are. That's my experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love it. So what does your, what does your creative process look like, uh, when you're writing? So, I mean, you've written TV show pilots, you've written like plays. Yeah. How, how do you even start? How do you get stuff on paper? Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. I was just thinking about this example and I don't know if this is something you can link to, but I recently, did uh, this fun project. It was actually merging the worlds of fashion. So a little bit of your world, Nick. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I do, the CFDA, which Vogue magazine, I like got involved, like, you Mm -hmm. know, my little childhood, my girlhood dreams of Vogue involvement. It's like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, Anna Winter came to my show. Like my (laughs) life is amazing. But it was really cool to kind of have this mashup of those worlds when I got the chance to do a short film that was the cold open for those awards. And I got to bring my characters in. So each of several of my characters were playing these different roles, interacting with fashion designers. Mm. And we did a short film. Fisher Stevens shot it. He's amazing. And I got to write it in, you know, the like you say, as you know, from being around me, the characters would interact with people in real time. And so sometimes my writing just looks like improving in as authentic a mm-hmm. way as possible in the real scene. So, you know, when I roll up on Tommy Hilfiger as a messenger and I'm like, yo, Tommy, oh my God, I got your underwears on right now, my dude. You know, (laughs) that's a moment that it's written, but it's written by the character in real time. So that's a lot of my writing process. Um, And some of it is recording. Like, you know, for me, because I'm in character, I'd like to get into the body of the person. You know, if I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking about, one character in particular, but maybe I should. Well, I will. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I want to first off start by saying as an Irish woman, I told Sarah Jones, I'm not going to be on any smartphone. There's nothing stupider <laughs> than those phones. And I told her I'm not going to be, you know, kind of hunched over a laptop. You know, like I like to say, you know, when I was a girl, your laptop was just a place where you put your napkin. <laughs> all right. So I'm an old fashioned older lady and oh, that's not how I write. So when it's time for her to write something for me, I, t- I speak it and we speak it right into the um, into the voice notes there on the phone. Stupid though it may be. That's the useful part. But um, the writing can look like whatever works for you. 
You know, if you like to sit and write it out um, on your laptop, that's one thing. But you could just as easily, it's just as legitimate to write with your voice and record it and then transcribe it Mm. later. I know a lot of artists work in lots of different ways and there's no wrong way to do it. Smart, smart, smarter than the phone. I agree. Don't get me started. (laughs) All this phone stuff is, people think it's so grand. Oh, it's not. Oh, I just I, think it's the worst. It's, it's killing creativity. I, that's what I say, love. There, he's got it. That Nicky, <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. I suffer from it myself. I know. That's the, 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 your generation, love. I, I feel for you. I do. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's, it's a journey. It's yeah. a journey. Maureen's, yeah. Um, <laughs> she, knows, she feels our pain from she, afar. She does. She's, <laughs> She's like, over oh, the I'm ocean. not going near any of that. <laughs> So what kind of, do you have any like morning routines or daily processes uh, that you do that get you in a, in a, the right state of mind, yep. right frame? I can tell you that I do all of this very imperfectly. Like there are days when I miss it and I'm like, oh, no, 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 one of my days off. But if at, on my best days, if I can do some combination of these things, maybe not all of them, but meditate like as soon as I get up in the morning. And when I say meditate, I don't mean that you have to like, you know, have a gong and incest, incense and all of these. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. I, that's a different kind of meditation. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, um, yeah. I don't know. Let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> my God, there's a new character <laughs> brewing now, apparently. There is. I'm a little disturbed by that. But your meditation doesn't have to have taboo words in it <laughs> or incense or, you know, any kind of particular um, religious attachment or anything like that or cultural underpinnings. It can just be sitting still for one minute before I will get my phone. Like literally, if I can do that before, because I think we forget that like, you know, when we're interacting with all that information, we're not really connecting with ourselves all the time. Sometimes you can, like sometimes I've had amazing, like really moving connection with people through, you know, like somebody finds me on Instagram and I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't seen them in so long. And it means something. But for the most part, I'm like, you know, reading a million news stories that are just going to stress me the hell out that I can't do anything about anyway, before I even like, you know, like drink my first glass of water in the morning. So I know that doesn't work for me. It totally takes me out of my like creative you know, kind of there's a way I need to come home to myself in the morning before I go out into the world through even through my phone. So if I can wake up in the morning and meditate, literally just like feel my feet on the floor, take some really deep breaths, focus on my breath and just like get silent and quiet. Sometimes then I'll get this flash of like, don't forget to call so-and-so. And it's like, oh my God, I wouldn't have remembered that if I hadn't just sat still first. Mm-hmm. So that really helps me. I try to check in with like what I think of as my muse, like that voice inside me that's like, We've always wanted to do, you know, we've always wanted to learn a Scottish accent. Let's go to this film festival. Mm -hmm. Like that voice is actually going to help me more than, you know, all the conversations with agents, all the, you know, putting myself out there, like getting centered that way is huge for me. Mm. Um, And then writing, like I find writing, journaling, just getting at whatever's going on for me. If I can be on top of the world or I can be like having a rough time, but it's really easy to sort of like miss where I really am um, if I don't check in that way. So I once heard this person say um, that the only three questions I ever need to ask myself are, who am I, how do I feel, and what do I need? And if I can ask myself those three questions and answer Mm -hmm. them really honestly, like in a deep way, Mm -hmm. not like, who am I? I'm Sarah Jones, motherfucker. No, like, who am I really? Like, what do I care about? Who am I? And then from that place, okay, how do I feel? 
oh, I might not realize that I'm sort of really stressed or grieving something or, you know, like uh, frustrated that some project I was trying to do didn't come together, but I've been masking it and ignoring that. And so now I'm all like having really janky dreams at night or whatever. So just like checking in in that way, that's a huge part of my day. Like, how do I feel? What do I need? And then once I take care of that, the art can flow. I can be useful to other people. It makes the day better. Love that. Yeah. Love that. I also noticed you have a vision board. I have many vision boards. Yes. Is that Marley? Yeah, Marley. Hi, Marley. Um, What what inspired you to start that? I have a morning routine. (laughs) Nobody asked me about my morning routine. Okay. (laughs) Marley, what's (laughs) your... Yeah, so what, you know, what is a vision board, first of all, Mm -hmm. and how has it helped you? You know, I think, um, so this is going to sound very Oprah mystic. But um, I learned from, again, other people whose work I really admire that some of the work they do is visualizing, you know, like if you're a kid and you're standing in the, you know, mirror with a hairbrush singing and you like you've had that dream, that's a that's partially visualization. It's you saying, like, I can see myself on a stage singing my ass off. And that's going to help motivate you to have the discipline to then go take the voice lessons or study, you know, the musicians you love or whatever. So visualizing something and having a, like, it's not enough to just kind of be like, I hope my life doesn't suck. Like, that's great. But what would you actually want? Like, what would you dream for yourself if you mm-hmm. could have anything? And I think the great thing about, you know, art is for some of us, we don't even have to sit down and envision it. It just comes and gets us. It's almost like there's, you know, there are some people who they've always known they wanted to paint. They can't even tell, you know, they can't even remember a time when they weren't an artist in their little tiny soul. But then there are some of us who we might have an inkling of like, oh, I really love, you know, whatever. Like I love interior design, Mm -hmm. but you don't have if you don't have like a vision of like, well, I love that, but I don't know, maybe I'd want to be something else. Maybe I want to be an accountant. No, yeah. like give yourself a chance to in, to see yourself actually stepping into that place in your life. So a vision board is how you take it from your mind to actually putting it, I, mine are framed, like I go crazy with mine. And wow. believe it or not, I have a vision board that's stuff I accomplished to mm. remind me because I think some artists, I'll put myself in this category. It's very easy to feel like, oh, I did that already, but it, you know, it's never enough. Like I, you know, I won one Tony, I need two. I, you know, I, I did this, yeah. but I, it's not enough. And it's kind of like remembering, no, what I'm, you know, I'm enough. Like what I do with my work is enough. And by telling myself that and keeping a vision very fresh in my mind of like where I want to be, um, I make it more likely that I'll actually step into it fully live into it instead of just, you know, getting by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. I, I've been toying around with the idea of making one. Do so. it, Nick. So I need to make one. Do it. Uh, do it. You're going to love it. It's, a, it's, it also, I find my too cool for school muscle really gets in my way. Mm. Like whenever I'm too cool for something or I'm like, oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, it's like so basic. Like if I'm in that place, my art doesn't flow. When I get really corny and earnest, mm. like I think earnest is the new snark. Like snarky's fun because it's kind of like, oh my God. But you can't get to that deep place in yourself unless you're like, oh my God, this shit makes me cry. Like yeah. I really, I have all the feels like for real. Yeah. When you can get to that place, you're going to write better. You're going to perform better. You're going to, you know, mm. take better photographs, have more creative, innovative visions. It's just 
automatic. Yeah. Yeah. So do, you, do it. it. Do the corny yeah. stuff, guys. Do the corny shit. It really works. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for getting past that, that initial like <sighs> editor, like the editor, right? You yeah. Know, how do you get past that editor? The, the, it's the inner critic. Because it can be really strong. And I find the better I'm doing, the more it's like, you blow. Everything you're doing sucks. Like, it's really weird. It's this weird thing of like, I'll get incredible feedback from somebody and that night I'll have like a dark night of the soul where it's like, I totally can't trust that person. It's like, wait a minute, that person is the head of, you know, the studio. Like you kind of have to trust them. But um, I find that that voice is really strong. I've heard it called the voice of resistance. Um, And it's something, one thing that really helps me is surrounding myself with other artists like you and other people I know who are my friends. I see them doing beautiful work. Um, when I share my work with you, I get feedback that's really helpful to me. And it helps me remember that that inner critic, it's just a thought. Like, it, you know, it might as well be in my head going like, catch up, catch up, catch up. It's just syllables. It right. doesn't have to mean anything. When I have the thought, you know, oh, that sucked or, you know, why didn't I do this thing instead of this thing? I can just as easily say to myself like, oh, I'm just having the thought that that sucked. A thought is not a command mm-hmm. automatically. Like, just because you have the, don't believe, I think I saw a bumper sticker, like, don't believe everything you think. Right. So that can really help. And turning to people you love and trust, who you know have great taste, who you know are brilliant in your life, they can really kind of help you. They're like your jumper cables to get you out of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's important to have good people around you. Gotta have them. Can't do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So true. And I hang out with like 30 crazy people. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm I'm talking about the real people in my real life, but even my characters, actually, I've had moments where I'm like backstage before an event and this is going to sound nuts, but like, you know, one of my first characters is this woman who is homeless. Um, how y'all doing? Hi. Uh, my name is Miss Lady. How you doing, Nick? I say my name is Miss Lady because I don't give my government name to everybody because I don't I don't know y'all yet, but uh, I know you, Nick. So I'll tell you my name later. But I tell Sal Jones, don't you doubt yourself? Don't waste a minute of your time doubting yourself. That's a waste. Mm. When you get to be my age, you're gonna look back and say I was young, I was pretty. Why did I waste a single minute on doubting myself or getting in my own way? Now, you better get up there and do what you know how to do and don't worry about how it turned out. That ain't none of your business. So sometimes my characters, the art itself can be the thing that rescues me from the voice of the critic. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Thank you, baby. Well said. Well, it's time to wrap it up here. I wanna we never ke- want to go home. I feel like we could keep talking and talking and talking. There's so much great stuff. So I appreciate mm-hmm. your your time. And one last question that I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Mm, You know, I love that you chose that as your question because inspire literally means to take in breath, like to breathe in. And so if I'm living in my, you know, like taking a deep breath, getting present to what's here, whether that's, you know, other great artists who I admire, who motivate me, that can be living inspired Mm. and, you know, in inspiration. 
And sometimes it's just getting still and being grateful for everything I have, my friends like you. So I think I'm living inspired right now at this moment. You are. You're such an inspiration. Thank you, Which is why you're on this podcast. Right back at you. Appreciate it. So uh, one last thing is where can everybody find you on the interwebs, the social medias of, you know. The socials. Um, So you can find me on Twitter. Because, you know, I have multiple personalities, I have to have multiple names because that makes it so much fun. On Twitter, I am Joan Zara. It's J-O-N-E-S-A-R-A-H. And on everything else, I am X-O Sarah Jones, um, S-A-R-A-H-J-O-N-E-S. So you can find me on Instagram and the face of the book. And I am threatening to Snapchat, but as as Marley, my cat, said, <laughs> want to be on the snapchats <laughs> Snapchat. i'm scared of the snapchats sounds violent i'm afraid no snapchats no snapchats not today no bye no. bye nick <laughs> <laughs> well i love it i love it and sir i just uh thank you for your time acknowledge you for the creativity that you're putting in the world and how much it means to me and to those that that you inspire and uh it's amazing Thank you. Thank so, you so much. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. It feels like you're too good for me. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Sarah Jones. I hope you were inspired and can take away things to integrate into your own creative process and life. And if you haven't done so already, head over to neonradio.com. That's N-I-O-N radio.com. Sign up for the newsletter and get each episode as they get dropped every week. And also you'll get my seven celebrity success secrets that I have learned from interviewing and photographing and hanging out with various influential people. Also, in case you missed it, you can head over to neonradio.com slash EP111 for the show notes, the links that we mentioned in the podcast, as well as check out the photo shoot that we did in her Manhattan apartment. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes. It helps us get higher up in the ranks and get in front of more people Also, I would love it if you would share this link out on social media, neonradio.com slash EP111 to share the love. So with that, it's time to go out, create your life by creating every small moment, and we'll see you next time.